BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. What's up, H Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Bulky and Blubber. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 75 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Balky. I'm hanging out in beautiful Jamaica Beach, Texas, USA, escaping the heat while my partner Jeff Blum is stuck in Houston. Sad trombone. <laughs> womp, womp. Blummer, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing. I just keep waking up and seeing what's going to happen today. <laughs> You beating the heat? As much as I can. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to do out here in Houston, but uh, I run from my car to the where, whatever door I'm trying to get into and uh, hope that I don't end up with my shirt sticking to me permanently. I know, man. It is some brutal heat. Uh, I'm on vacation down here in Jamaica Beach on the west end of the Gal- of Galveston Island. Went to the uh, little sandbar the other night right down here at the West End Marina. Little shout-out. Cool little place to go hang. I'm sitting right now in the uh, outdoor kitchen right on the canal. So eat your hearts out, everyone in Houston heat. Got a nice breeze going, the fan on me. Life is good. Life is good, and your hat collection continues to grow. Bro, my hat collection is really, it's insane. I mean, somebody <laughs> asked me today, how many do I have? Honestly, don't know at this point. It's too many is the answer. Too many yep. is clear. I brought like three of them with me. I've got this one on the side for our uh, Dodgers podcast we'll be doing here in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> by the way, you should watch for that later this week. We're doing a, a joint podcast with the guys from the Believe in Dodgers podcast guys for ahead of the uh, L.A. Dodgers series this weekend. So keep an eye out for that. You can obviously find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, of course, on YouTube. Give us a follow on Twitter and on Instagram at Believe in Astros. You can find me at Jeff Balky, Blummer at Blummer27, all over social media. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. <clears throat> Thanks to everyone who's been liking and subscribing. Give us five stars on Apple. You know you, you know you want to. We love seeing all your comments and questions. For example, will the Astros ever score more than one run again? And we don't know. <laughs> the answer is we don't know. <laughs> but... We're going to talk about it, regardless uh, of our... Uh, hey, Blum, are you going to get out and play golf this week at all? I mean, it's hot. Um, Yeah, I will play yeah. this week, but it's not going to be here in Texas. Oh, yeah, you're going to be in SoCal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Headed back home. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this 0-6 awfulness, shall we? Uh, what What is going on with them? What do you see? What is... Like if from your, you know, your perch in the booth, what are you seeing right now? Other than obviously they can't score runs, but what's going on with this team? 
Well, first of all, baseball is not easy, and of course, over the last six, seven years, our bar has been set extremely high with the Houston Astros, and a lot of people recognize that coming out of spring training, made the Astros the favorite in the West, and made them a favorite to get to the World Series again, but that was with the idea of everybody being healthy, with the rotation intact, with Lance McCullers Jr. coming back, uh, with Michael Brantley making an appearance, and now we're not seeing some of these guys... Uh, in that lineup that we want, we're seeing some of the young talent, which is showing flashes of brilliance and sometimes um, some growing pains. And I think right now you're you're witnessing a team that's a little fatigued just because they've been trying to carry the load without a Jordan or Michael Brantley or trying to finesse this rotation through a long season with some young arms that honestly don't have the uh, maybe don't have the stamina to get through a, a full season. So they're trying to manipulate that. But the, the, the dog days showed up early here in Houston. Uh, the, the heat is up. It's on this team. And uh, it's just not going the way they want right now. The thing that's kind of stood out to me is uh, the defensive issues. That's something that we've always relied on with Houston is that the fact that they were going to play great defense, uh, pick up their pitchers, and we just haven't seen that, especially late in games. I think the Astros lead the league in unearned runs from the seventh inning on, which is not a good thing and doesn't help your bullpen out all that much. But baseball's tough. The Astros are finding that out, and uh, hopefully they are able to weather the storm and not fall too far behind. Yeah, you know, Blummer, I'm glad you brought up the defensive part of it because I tell you, that is something that you don't expect to see change. I mean, the Astros are a good defensive team with good play, you know, good guys in those positions. They haven't really switched any of those positions that much. I mean, their infield is the same, um, except for the first base. And, you know, when you look at it, you kind of wonder, like, how is that possible when you've got gold glovers all over the field, really, that you're really struggling with defense and specifically at critical times? Well, that's the thing that's most frustrating is that this team has played through some of the most critical moments that you can imagine in baseball, so they have the pedigree and the experience to be able to function in those situations. But sometimes, uh, you know, the best laid plans don't go exactly well, and I'm not sure. I don't think it's pressure. I don't think it's anything like that. I just think sometimes, mm. um, you know, you, you can sit back a little bit, and as much as there's slumps in, in hitting, there's slumps on defense, too. And you know as well as I do that the baseball gods have a tendency to have that baseball find you at some of your weakest moments. And uh, I think that's just what's happening right now. But these these are correctable issues. That's the only thing that gives me hope. These guys are too good to let this happen for too long, and they're correctable issues. You know, uh, it, it brings up an interesting point. I was looking at my, my father-in-law, uh, who's down here on this trip. It's a big family trip. You know, he's a huge Astros fan. And we were talking about, the Astros' success in later innings and whether or not, you know, they were just faltering. And we look, and I, I did a little bit of looking up, and I found a stat that was kind of shocking to me, and that is, if they are tied or behind in the sixth inning, they have only won four games this year when they are tied or behind in mm -hmm. the sixth. That is remarkable for the Astros, a team that thrives on late inning scoring and on shutdown bullpen. Uh, action that was a really that surprised even me. I knew they hadn't been great in those situations, but when when you're losing in those situations really badly, I mean that's 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 just tough. It is tough, and they do have a good offense from the seventh inning on, especially early on in the season. And um, yeah, God forbid you get to extra innings, and then it really falls apart. And they're zero and six, huh. I think now, or zero and seven. 
where they just haven't been able to manipulate yeah. that those new rules and it's really exposed them. Um, you know, there's a lot going on late in the game for the Astros. I think, you know, as much as the players have issues, I think there's been, you know, and I, I hate to be critical of Dusty, but that's part of our job, but there's been some questionable, yeah. you know, moves late in games where we, we really haven't seen, uh, you know, some of these guys put in the best position to succeed. Yeah, look, there's been plenty of chatter all over social media and everywhere else about, you know, frustrations with Dusty Baker. And I think it's reasonable and warranted, you know, uh, particularly p- putting in Rafael Montero late in games in such certain situations where he has really been struggling. Um, and you look at guys like why guys like finally Yiner's getting time and he's producing. Um, but it just especially given the fact that that um, Maldonado has just not been good catching. Um, he's not been good either, really defensively that great either. So you just have to wonder. There are some certainly some questionable calls out there. This is certainly not on all on Dusty. He's a successful manager. No, but um, no. there there's good reason to to say hey, maybe make some better decisions. Maybe maybe not put people in the cooler so much. <laughs> Dude, hey, uh, I that man. It's like the NBA. I'm trying to be diplomatic about this because I, you know, I love my job and I do like Dusty a lot. Yeah, but I don't. And it's in the NBA too. The load management. This this conversation of load management and some of the excuses and reasons they give for this. And I know that there's you know there's health analytics now to go along with the baseball analytics right. to protect these guys and their legs and the longevity of this season to maximize their potential. But still, you know, when Dusty says in the past, I'm going to play the hot hand, and then you have Altuve after going, I think, hitting a buck 50 in his previous nine games, goes out and gets four hits, hits an opposite field home run, and you need offense, and you sit him. I'm just like, man, we, could we just give him one more day and see what he would have done? And instead yeah. of, you know, when he comes back and plays against the Mets and goes 0 for 4 and doesn't look comfortable at all, you know, I don't know whose call that is, but it I think if I, you know, I didn't have too many four-hit games in my career, but if I had, if I was not in the lineup the next day, I'd be in, I'd be in the manager's office going, "Hey, man, <laughs> I got to keep this thing rolling." Well, Blummer, baseball, like all sports, is a, it's a rhythm game. You know, it's a game where you get into a feel, mm-hmm. you get, you get rolling, and. You know that's just how it is. You don't want to stop that roll once you're going, and that that how many, kind of how many fits, times you've been at a poker table or a blackjack table and said, "Man, I'm on a heater. I'm going to take a break." <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you something. If you're at a craps table and you're on a heater and you decide to take a break, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be real pissed at you sitting around that table. You know, I just yep. think what's interesting to me about it too is that. A lot of this, like you say, load management. Just wait a couple of days. Like it's not like you. I mean, don't be a slave to the schedule. Um, and particularly, like I understand load management a little bit more in basketball because these guys are just you know burning it every single day. But if you're a position player, okay, let's say Jose mm-hmm. Altuve, that's your situation. Put him at DH for a day, right? Just move move a couple guys around, play him at DH. You know, move Yiner to the catcher spot. Something like that. Um, Dusty has said that this is still like spring training for Jose Altuve. Well, I tell you what. (laughs) Jordan Alvarez did not have a spring training, and he proceeded to play 41 straight games, I think is the number. So he eventually had an oblique strain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, know, explain that 
to me. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know, man. Uh, look, I don't. I'm glad I'm not a major league baseball manager or general manager. I could not do it. I don't care who you are out oh, there. Man, if, you, dude. if you think Toughest you know what you're doing, game. I just I I can't imagine it. So I, I, who am I <laughs> to like sit here and be like, oh well, you better you ought to do X, Y, and Z. Well, no, we don't know. We're they're you mm-hmm. know they're doing what they think is best for these players, particularly given the circumstances. But you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. As we all like to say, now Hunter Brown had a bit of a rough outing, but I saw some people like overreacting to this. Yeah. He had one bad inning, right? And anybody can have yeah. one bad inning. Speaking of the NBA, twenty-second timeout. Let's <laughs> regroup. Exactly. <laughs> He's fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Hunter Brown is doing well, and I saw these people going. You know what would be great is get your key, push him down to the fourth or fifth spot. I'm like, listen, Hunter Brown is an outstanding pitcher. He had a bad inning. Let the man have a bad inning. It's just part of the deal. You know, it's it's just part of what mm-hmm. happens. I mean, this is a long-ass season. It's just part of what happens. No, it is part of what happens, and he's a rookie. He's figuring things out, and they, the Mets definitely picked up on something. I'm not sure what it was, if yeah. he was tipping or if there was a sequence issue. But after Vogelback hit that home run, yeah. he ran back and uh, – I think Beatty was hitting behind him, and he kind of, you know, covered his mouth and said something to him, and all of a sudden they went on a tear. Uh, so I think they picked up on something, but it, it would have. I would have panicked more if Hunter Brown had done that the the next inning, or the next inning, or was scared to come in stri- inside the strike zone. He proceeded to go out there and go two or three shutout innings before eventually being pulled from that game. So right. I think that I, I think that he's a guy that is learning on the job with his stuff. And I saw a very good slider in that ball game. Uh, yeah. I saw the Mets put some good swings on some tough pitches. But uh, his competitiveness is what kind of fires me up to go along with the talent and stuff. No, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think that these are these are times where you're going to have stretches like that. And it's not it's partially because he's a rookie, but it's partially, like you said, I think they just kind of figured something out. Um, they saw something. Mm-hmm. That's what good teams do. I mean, the Astros have done it plenty of times. So, yes. interestingly enough, Belak goes down. I think it was necessary. You know, his FIP was, oh, he was just getting hit around too much. But <laughs> I know a lot of people are like, hey, Dubin, listen, I feel for Sean Dubin because Sean Dubin was not having a great season at AAA. And he comes up here and he just is the sacrificial lamb on day one. I mean, just right out of the gate. Um, what did you see from him and just watching him play? I saw two extremely good innings, and then I saw fatigue setting in. <laughs> and yeah. a team that was on a light, we're talking about heaters, that Mets team was on a heater. They were, they were swinging the bats well, and they finally figured him out that second yeah. time through the lineup. And I don't think that's any fault of Sean Dubin. I just think that's the fault of having to throw too many pitches in that inning and, and yeah. finally leaving some pitches out there. But I did see a fastball of 95, 96. Saw a right. little bit of a, a slider that everybody wants to call a sweeper, but it was a slider. Um, a little bit of a cutter at 91 92 that was kind of interesting and uh he threw a couple of good change-ups to left-handed hitters but i think that first time through the lineup he, he held his own i thought he did a pretty good job yeah i thought so too i think it felt like to me like he was hopped up on some adrenaline and then the adrenaline just wore off and the mm. cliff came you know it was like yeah it was like it like he ate a bunch of pixie sticks and he was fine for a little bit, and then that sugar high came <laughs> crashing down. And I mean, who can blame him? Like yeah, he's pitching dude. in the major leagues. I, if I mean, it would be impossible for almost anyone to contain their emotion in that situation. 
And uh, and then to be successful right off the bat, you've got to just be bouncing off the walls. So, yeah, I, I just felt bad for the guy. I mean, obviously, they had to do it. They had to leave him in there, let him take some lumps. Uh, they, they couldn't, you know, use up a bunch of their bullpen uh, with the rest of this Mets series. But, I, you know, valiant effort for a guy who I, I felt bad for, to be honest. You know, and, of course, I think we they had to send Belak down. Um, they didn't really have a choice. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Brandon Belak has done a, he did yeoman's work while he was up here, but it's clear that he just he just doesn't have starter stuff to be able to compete for you know that many innings. They they just once they've seen him a couple of times, they get to him. Well, like you said about the the FIPS and the X FIPS were extremely high, and yeah. a lot of the reason and his WHIP was extremely high yeah. too. And that's something you got to look at as far as the success and trying to figure out how is this guy getting it done. And when your ER, when your ERA is three flat when he came into that last start, yet the batting average against was uh, three hundred plus. Right. Uh, the WHIPS over one and a half, and you've got your FIPS at you know uh, fives and sixes. Yep. That explains that you're pitching into a little bit of luck, and he actually did a very good job with guys in scoring position. But when you're pitching that consistently with that much traffic and that much trouble, eventually it's going to come back to get you. And I think that's what uh, he needs to correct: is figuring how out how to how to have these one, two, three innings, how to keep guys off the base paths, and not put himself in those situations. Because when you lack when you lack a couple of pitches to go get you swing and miss and get out of damage like that, or like Framber Valdez when he was young, if you don't have that pitch that gets you that ground ball double play, right. you're going you're to get exposed uh, eventually. But that's a tough way to live pitching because th- you're throwing a lot of pitches and, yeah. you're, and you're pitching out of a lot of uh, jams, which means high leverage. Yeah, and the thing, uh, it just seems to me like he's in the strike zone too much for a guy that doesn't have great stuff. You know, uh, for a guy that doesn't have great stuff, his – his location is too mm-hmm. often like right over the middle of the plate. And, uh, you know, you can beat a guy if you're throwing 97 with him over the middle of the plate every once in a while. But it's going to be tough when you just don't have that. Yeah, your margin of... for error shrinks. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and so I think that's really interesting. I did want to bring up something about pitching. And this I just sort of somebody was asking me the other night, like I said, we're, I'm down here with a bunch of family. And we were discussing the strike zone. Because, of course, why wouldn't we be discussing mm-hmm. the strike zone? Everybody talks about the damn strike zone. And we were talking. It is. And we were talking about, you know, robo-umps and all of that kind of stuff. So what we were wondering, and I don't know if you know this or not, the square that is projected on television broadcasts, how is that, what is the decision on, like, where that square is placed? Is that just done, like, is a computer figure that out? Do they, because, I mean, obviously, if you put Jose Altuve at the plate, the strike zone is going to be a little bit different than if you put Aaron Judge at the plate or whoever it is. So how does that how is that mm-hmm. get and how and do we know exactly how accurate that little box is? Um, it's it's as good as it can be, and it's and it's really it's not perfect, yeah. obviously, but neither are human umpires. Yeah. But at the same time, it gives you a rough. It's a rough sketch of what yeah. that strike zone should be. And I know it, it raises up and down for depending on the hitter. Right. They don't just arbitrarily throw it up in the same 
same shot yeah. because you know even the camera is going to change a little bit from hitter to hitter. Um, we try to get that angle as best we can, but I know they're adjusting it height wise in the truck. But again, it's just a, it's an arbitrary idea of what that strike zone could be, and obviously we could put a label on it with MD Anderson. Yeah. You know, so I, keep that in mind that we are you know we are selling that, <laughs> but uh, at the same time. At the same time, it's it's a rough idea of what that strike zone is, and you know as well as I do. When you're at home, it, you know, watch where the catcher sets up. Yeah. If the ball hits the catcher in the chest, he's usually setting up with his chest on each edge, and um, the idea of the height of the strike zone is usually around where the top of the catcher's head is. Okay. So I mean, that's an easy way to kind of look at it if you're not looking at the the lines on there, and also remember that. Uh, that big league umpires have a little bit of a buffer zone. There's about a two inch edge on that strike zone that you're watching that gives a little bit of grace to the umpire to call off the edges. So when we say he missed that pitch in major league terms, he didn't miss that pitch because mm -hmm. there is that two two inch grace period or grace period, grace edge off the edge of the edges of the plate. But that being said, this these strike zones in this ball game in 2023 might be the worst I've ever seen. I'm glad you said that because I've been really I've been looking at some of these guys and and look even when you read across know, the league this isn't just the Astros no right 100 percent I agree with you 100 percent if you want if you get I don't know if it's the I forget the name of the Twitter feed but it's that umpire it, it's an umpire grading system that's on Twitter. Yeah, it's the ump scorecard ump scorecard thank you that's exactly right the ump scorecard you know no most of these guys are not below 90 percent which seems like really good, but when you're getting down mm -hmm. closer to 90% and you look at some, it, it's, and to me, it's not so much the percentage as it is when you look at some of the egregious missed, like, you know, a, a ball that's clearly two or three inches well outside the zone or a ball that is clearly, you know, at the knees and, and especially when those calls get made in critical situations, which seems to be ha happen more and more often, that's really frustrating, obviously, for mm. everybody, fans, team, players, whoever. And so they've got to figure out how to correct that because they're losing credibility. And let's be honest, technology is why they're losing credibility. The technology is better, and so now we know mm -hmm. more. And I think once they, once they figure out how to how to define an electronic strike zone. Yeah. I don't want them ex I don't want them immediately to go to you know the automated balls and strikes. I don't I don't want to see that happen. I want to I want to see the challenge system. I find that fascinating and I think it's really great to to get the idea of what the catcher thinks a strike zone is, what a hitter thinks a strike zone is, and once they figure out what that strike zone is going to be, I would like to see them continue with the human umpire, but then give those guys one challenge per at bat kind of thing and say, "Hey, I you missed that one. Let's correct it. Let's fix it now." And immediately we're able to see it on the big board, you know, on, on the big screens at the ballparks, have those overturned, have them yeah. upheld, whatever it may be. But I don't think the immediate knee-jerk reaction is to go straight to the uh, CBS system. Oh, I don't think so either. I think that's too much. I think it's real weird to be like full-on robot umps. Yeah. But I will say the challenge system, if you ever watch professional tennis, it is handled extremely well yeah. in professional tennis. They, if, if a guy hits a shot or a woman hits a shot, and it's they think it's in or they think it's out. They can call for a challenge. The computer like that tells them if it was a you know if it was in or out, mm -hmm. and instantly they're like, okay, point, keep moving. And it has not slowed that game down at all. 
and it's been extremely effective. And, and I feel like that is the kind of thing, if you can use that, no, I think you're right. I was just going to I was going to reinforce what you said about tennis because they use a system called Hawkeye and baseball has been implementing Hawkeye. Wow. So that is that's to your point where that could be an option. That's fascinating. I'm really curious to see how they're going to handle implementing that. I feel like it would just be beneficial for the game because again, it's the credibility issue. You just want to lend credibility to mm-hmm. to these things and make sure that what you're doing is is making sure that fans, players, everybody else, nobody wants conspiracy theories and all that nonsense. Deal with the facts. That's the best thing mm-hmm. we can do. Still here. What are the facts these days, what? Jeff? <laughs> I was just going to say, well, <laughs> exactly. We've got, we've got alternate facts and regular facts. Which facts do you want? <laughs> we've got science, and then we have pseudoscience. Yeah. We've got all sorts of facts, Plumber. I could tell you all the yep. fish I caught, and that would be a fact. It would be an incorrect fact, but it would be a fact. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was huge in my eyes. Yeah, exactly. So we've, we got two more with the Mets, but main thing is it's JV night uh, at Minute Maid Park. Justin Verlander back mm-hmm. uh, pitching against his former team. I've got to believe he's going to have some motivation to uh, come out and really uh, do something. Against his former uh, look, I mean Max Scherzer, it was no, it was no pushover last night. Um, so, uh, you know, how do you think? Well, I think the fans are going to react great to JV. I don't think any there's going to be no animosity. I, yes. I imagine standing ovations and all of that. But uh, what do you think's going through JV's mind playing against his former team? Especially, look, he won World Series here. You know, I mean, it's a, it's this is a the probably the best part of his career. Um, how do you think? Uh, how, what do you think is going to be going through his mind tonight? Um, I hope I'm hope he I hope he's a little bit emotional, but I know he's going to go out there and say you're missing me, kind of thing. I think that's going to be one of those uh, outings where he says, "Don't you miss me?" Because um, that's what every player wants to do when they don't go back to that team where they've had so much success, or they said, "I don't want to sign that contract," or "You trade me away." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Why did you do that? I loved it here. I pitched so well for you guys, and now don't you miss me even more?" So I think he's going to go out there with a little more intent. Uh, especially knowing where this offense is for the Astros, and he has a real opportunity to continue to get his numbers better in mm. front of his new team, who maybe is feeling a little buyer's remorse with that <laughs> contract uh, for the first couple of outings. But at the same time, he went out there and he'll be motivated because Max Scherzer pitched so well. He saw him racking up strikeouts, and these guys are over 3,000 strikeouts. They're making a run for the Hall of Fame, and uh, they're competing against each other. So I think there's a little incentive there for Justin Verlander to kind of one-up or match what Max Scherzer did. So the Astros are going to have to be prepared for that kind of uh, Justin Verlander. Um, And uh, I hope it's emotional because you know what? The, the time that he spent here in Houston and all, you know, maybe he didn't want to be here. Maybe he did. Um, he won two World Series titles. Yeah. He got the trophy that he never could get in Detroit. Um, he got to two more Cy Young. So Brent Strom, Josh Miller, and these guys really, I'm not going to say resurrected his career. Right. I think that's a little extreme, but they definitely enhanced it. Yeah. So hopefully there's that mutual respect and admiration in that sense so that he can handle himself in a way that says thank you, but at the same time go out there and pitch well for his new team. Um, I, I think he's going to be highly motivated tonight. I think you're 100% right. I, the, the thing you bring up about him and Max Scherzer is a really interesting one to me. I, I don't know how much that's been written about in New York, 
Um, but I am fascinated by mm-hmm. this idea of these two guys who don't really care, like each other, who didn't really like each other before this year, and who were, I mean, they're very similar and on very similar paths. Um, and I think the Mets were hoping to stoke that rivalry so that these guys would go out and every night I'm mm-hmm. going to best what Verlander did. I'm going to best what Scherzer did. And yeah, I'm, sure that's, I'm sure that's a big part of it. You know, egos in, in all of sports are mm-hmm. a big deal, right? No, yeah, use them to your advantage for sure. And I've definitely seen more pictures of Garrett Cole on a boat with Justin Verlander than I have with Max Scherzer. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, these two guys, I don't know. Like, look, look, whatever works, whatever makes what it, you know, whatever makes you good. I guess that's the main thing. Um, I'm going to be very. I think it's going to be fun to watch mm-hmm. JV pitch tonight against the Astros. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to the Astros. Is it uh, is Fromber tonight or is it Javier? I can't remember which. I think it's Fromber, right? Oh yeah. So oh Fromber. No Fromber. Yeah, Fr- Fromber's been going up, but oh. he's been a dragon tamer for the last like seven starts. I feel like he faced Shohei Otani Shohei Otani twice, beat him. So I mean, he's been going up against some of these aces and pitched well, man. Oh, and by the way, can we just for a moment have a moment of silence for Shohei Otani? Good lord! I mean, listen. Uh, even if you're just a baseball, never mind being an Astros fan. Show unreal. Like this guy is just. He's not human. He's not human. And it's and it's it's just it's disturbing really to see this guy. It's crazy. Sing he has single single-handedly pushed the uh, uh, Angels ahead of the Astros. Now you got a flyby. Yeah, in my brother-in-law. Brother-in-law just but He's probably hey, getting a beer right now. It's, uh, it is 9:30. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's beer 30. That's all I know. It's beer 30. It is beer 30. But how about the uh, the number? Shohei Otani is leading that entire team in pitching an offense. He is is it. It's amazing. Oh, and by the way, it's not as if Mike Trout is doing nothing. Like, Mike Trout is is having a good year himself. And he is being fully and completely overshadowed by Shohei Otani, who is essentially Mm -hmm. Babe Ruth Part 2. And and better, beyond because he's not. I'm saying he's better because he's not fat. I mean, until he hits 715 home runs. I mean, well, but fair. dude, I mean, to be able to be this magnificent offensively and pitching wise, what a joke, I, dude! He's just, making a mockery of the game. It's just ridiculous. It's not that easy. And if look, if they keep this up, they are going to be uh, difficult to beat. I mean, and with them and the Rangers, right now the Astros. Look, let's be honest. Right now the Astros are not getting into the playoffs. If the playoffs started today, they're outside the picture. And that's insane. Um, Isn't that right? They are. Yeah, I think they're outside they the are, and uh, Yeah, they are. And some of the projections are actually having the Astros 20% to get to the World Series and 50% to get to the playoffs. 50. It's now 50-50 that they get in, period. Oh, man. This is, these, are, these are worse than the dog days right now, Plummer. These are like these are. It's terrible. Yeah, these are trying times, man. Yeah. These are really trying times. The best of times, the worst of times. I, now I'm going to start quoting literature. That's never a good sign. When I still, when I start pulling out yeah. literature, you don't quotes, want that from us. They, we, you do not listen. There are a lot of things you might like to hear from Blummer and myself. Uh, quoting literature <laughs> is not among them. I, although I did say the other night when the Astros lost that they went out with the, uh, they didn't go out with a bang but with a whimper. Thank you, E.E. E. Cummings. 
but that's a mm. yeah. Say so, hey, we can be Touché. we can be a little literate. I mean, we went to college. Plumber, how, yeah, partially literate. Really, how how well did you do in college, Plumber? Was your, were you a were you a? I did. I was eligible to play baseball. <laughs> well, I spent <laughs> well, I spent most of my time uh, playing music. Um, so that should tell you pretty much all you need to know about my college experience. All right. Well, thanks everybody. C's get degrees. <laughs> C's get. I've never heard that before. Are you kidding me? No way. I'm si- and this is what's really bad about this. Oh, man. Is I'm sitting here in a household filled with, like, geniuses, right? My my father-in-law, <laughs> who was a Rice professor for 50 years, uh, his brother, who was a lawyer forever, oh, damn. His, their, their sister, who was the producer at CBS News for, like, decades, my wife, who has a master's degree oh, in yeah? journalism from Columbia, my brother-in-law over here is a radiologist. I mean, are you kidding me? Damn! Hey, big deal. What's their ex woba? <laughs> exactly. What is their ex woba? I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna find out here today. That's gonna be the first. That's gonna be the next question for everybody. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, doctor. What's your ex woba? That's, uh-huh. that's what I want to know. Yeah. Hell, I don't even know what. What's your weighted on base average? <laughs> What's your expected batting average? Right. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. that's amazing, exactly. Blumber. I'm going to start throwing that one out immediately. Also, a little story for you before we go. Mm-hmm. I learned years ago, a number of years ago, my good buddy Ben, who is a restaurateur in Austin, a uh, British guy who uh, was very successful in London, then came to Austin. Ben and I went to a Dallas Cowboys game uh, in Dallas. He was invited because some people up there were trying to woo him into moving a restaurant uh, to, an, uh, to a place in Dallas. Um, there was a lot of drinking. Um, I did not drink nearly as much as everyone else, but it happened. So um, at the end of the night, we wound up at this North Dallas bar that was owned by the guy who's the heir to the Raisin Cane's uh, fortune, a uh, guy named Todd Graves. Ooh. So we're hanging out, and 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 just it was just us, you know, some British guys, some some regular dudes. Oh, and also Kid from Kid and Play. If I mention that part. So, yes, that is correct. We were hanging out at a bar with Kid from Kid and Play. So we get into it. The the guy's like, he's like, we got to go to another bar. Okay. So we hop into this Todd guy's Porsche. And we go racing across the Dallas uh, Metroplex at uh, at untold speeds. (laughs) Um, We get out of bar and, and Kid tells me he's not getting back in the Porsche. I agree with him. Um, we continue on our way, finish out our night. It was, a, it was an interesting, and it, apparently Pauly Shore was going to show up, but decided he was too tired. Also, that's part of the story. What? Yes, it's true. And there was an Instagram influencer there. I don't know. So anyway, fa- fla- fast forward to today, and I'm reading a thing in The Athletic about how the College World Series, which is happening in Omaha, Nebraska, there is a bar there that has a challenge that the fan base who can mm-hmm. drink the most jello shots in two weeks... Like it's they win some sort of a prize. So Old Miss had held the record of like eighteen thousand Jello shots. Well, last night after only four days of the College World Series, four days, <laughs> it was broken by LSU because of course Louisiana is going to break this record. If any state in the union is there to Damn break right. the record, it's going to be them. And they broke it at twenty-one thousand Jello shots. 
And it was powered by, guess who? Todd Graves of Raisin Cane's. So there is my... Damn. That's, that's what David Letterman back in the day used to call your brush with greatness. And I'm not sure if it's greatness Full or if circle. it's insanity. <laughs> Full, it's, a, it's like the circle of life, man. Hakuna Matata. That's what just happened. Damn. So, what is it, six degrees of Jeff Balky, <laughs> man? Yeah, that's right. It's like, yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm just sitting here doing nothing but talking on a podcast. <laughs> All these other people are out, like, you know, partying in Omaha. Which, by the way, what else is there to do in Omaha? I'm just saying. But jello shots. Go to Omaha. Is it fun? It's unbelievable. I have relatives from Nebraska, but they were all from Lincoln. This jersey, if you're watching this on YouTube, yeah. if you're watching this on YouTube, this jersey right here played in Omaha. <gasps> no, you didn't. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. 1992 starting shortstop for the California Golden Bears in the World Series, Jeff Blum. Yep, I played. I... It was amazing. I played at old Rosenblatt Stadium. Yep. Blummer. Go. I had Go. It's, no it's, idea. It's it's religious. Yeah, it's religious. It's it's a, that is a pocket, you know, field of dreams in Iowa, mm-hmm. Omaha, Nebraska for college baseball. Go. Well, now that you highly recommend. All right. The only question that I have about that besides did you win the college world series? And that's a question. No, you did not. Okay. No, two and barbecue. No, two. <laughs> but the other question I have is, did you have a Jello shot? Because it seems like that's the tradition. I, I was eighteen at the time, I, and I was not publicly drinking. I will say that. I like that you say you weren't publicly drinking. <laughs> that's a cabin. That's a real narrow margin, plumber. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's like I wasn't publicly <laughs> drinking. Privately, yes. I was. You're only 18. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you. You know. You can infer your own idea there. Yeah. Oh, we will, and it's, <laughs> we absolutely will. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, Dave Blummer. Any final thoughts before tonight? Yep. Chin up. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. Chin up. Keep it. Yeah. I mean, you just keep going. What else are you going to do? I mean, it's a long, yep. long season. Anything can happen. Nothing. Keep grinding. Keep grinding. Exactly. We'll be back next week with a fresh pod brought to you by Bet Online. Obviously, be sure to catch us this Friday. The guys from the Believe. I don't know what their podcast is called. That's sad. I think it's called like Los Dodgers. I can't remember. Um, but we're going to be recording mm-hmm. that this morning with those guys. That should be fun. And a huge thanks to all you guys for listening and watching all over the world. You're great. Liking, subscribing, commenting. We're deeply and and emotionally and even spiritually moved by your participation in what we do because uh, that's who we are. So thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. We will see you next week. And uh, while I'm down here in Jamaica beach, hopefully catching a few fish with my brother-in-law who's sitting right here. (laughs) Everybody have a good week and go Astros. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.